Good, good. My name is Mike Ash. I'm the associate pastor here at Next Level Church. So excited to be here. Pastor Matt and Sarah are in uh, Kentucky. They're coaching some churches up there, so they're having a lot of fun. So today we're in the series Feeding Fort Myers. As we get going, uh, I want to see a show of hands. Who hung out with someone in high school that your parents didn't want you to hang out with? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, there's a lot of us. Who dated someone in high school that your parents didn't want you to date? A lot of us, yeah, we, we've, we've all kind of had that experience. Um, for me, there was a, there was a kid in, in high school, his name was Danny. And Danny, Danny and I hung out all the time, and my mom had this thought about me as her kid. She always believed that I was like the sweetest, best, good kid in the world with like this pure heart and all kinds of love inside of me, except when I hung out with Danny. And then all of a sudden, the little bit of bad that was inside of me, because she thought there was a little bit of bad inside of me, all of a sudden, he like brought it out and made it a whole bunch worse. And if it wasn't for Danny, this kid, if it wasn't for him, then I would be such a better kid, but Danny would come into my life and make me a bad kid and just completely mess me up. Um, we did a lot of good stuff together, Danny and I. We hung out. We were friends. We had each other's back um, all the time. We were just, seemed to be, you know, those best friends you have, and you just can't be separated. That's how he and I were. We did all the good things together, and at the same time, we did all the bad things together. Um, I was visiting my dad one time in Indiana, and uh, because for a while I lived in St. Pete's where I was friends with him, and I visited my dad in Indiana. I came back to St. Pete. He's like, hey, man, I got jumped into a gang. I'm like, cool, let's do that. So I did that. We, we did drugs together. We smoked cigarettes together. We used to skip school together. And we would, we would skip school, and we'd act like we were walking to the bus. We didn't have cars at the time. We, we'd act like we were walking to the bus, and then we would basically take the turn right before the bus stop. We would leave. We would go to the store with our $1.50 lunch money, and we used to go to the store, and we would buy like 48 ramen noodles, because you can buy like 48 ramen noodles with $1.50, just because. And we would, we would wait till my mom left for work, and then we would go back to my house and just like watch TV all day and smoke our cigarettes and eat ramen noodles. It was awesome. Um, one of the, one of the, no, it wasn't awesome. If you're in high school, don't do, don't do that. So one of the things, one of the things that we had between us that I thought was kind of cool is we had this pact that we're never going to ever run away alone because we kind of grew up in homes that were a little bit jacked up. His was like way more jacked up than mine was, but we both had home lives where there was always a possibility that we would run away, and we talked about it and talked about it and talked about it, and then one day he comes and he knocks on my door. And I remember the day he knocks on my door, and I answer the door. He's like, bro, I'm out. And I'm sitting there thinking, and I'm sitting there thinking, no, because I had had like three good days with my parents. And like if you're a teenager, three good days with your parents, that's like heaven. You know, it's like, oh, maybe they're not crazy. You know, it's kind of that feeling. And he told me, I'm out, I'm leaving. And he's like, you don't have to go if you don't want to. And I'm like, man, we, we said that if you run away, I'll run away. If I run away, you run away. Um, I'm with you. And so I had to go back inside and get some stuff. And I'm like, see you, mom, I'm going to go play. She's like, great, I love you, son. I love you too, mom, because we're getting along so well for three days. And so I leave, and then we decide we're, gonna, we're running away. I'm running away with them. And we have a friend whose parents have a house about five, five miles away from where we live. Since we don't have a car, we decide we're going to have to walk to this house that, that no one's living there. They have no renter. And our friend told us, if you go to a specific window, you will be able to get into the house. And so we walk five miles. I mean, when we ran away, we ran away. 
So we walk five miles to this house, and we get to the house, and the neighbor's lights are on, and it's dark at this point. The neighbor's lights are on, and so the neighbors are outside doing some stuff, so we're a little bit worried that they're going to see us. And so we just have to try our best not to be seen as we try to finagle this window that never opens. And we go, we go to like another window, and it doesn't open until we hit this point of we can't get into the house. And so we're like, all right. We're going to walk back to our neighborhood because now we're five miles away from home. It's dark out, and we're running away teaching our parents not to be mean to us, you know. It's kind of like, where do you run away to if you ever run away? I don't know. You just run, and then you, then you walk nine miles, and you get tired. So we walk four miles back from our house or back towards our house. We get about a mile away, and we stop at this bridge. And we end up going underneath the bridge, and we're just going to hang out here because we're tired, and we end up falling asleep under the bridge. Like trolls, you know, it's kind of like the, we're scaring kids as they go over. And, and the question that I sometimes think of, how many times do you have to sleep underneath a bridge to be considered homeless? I don't know. I think one is a good number. And so we were, we were definitely rolling like that. So, um, and then I came home, and the funny thing is I came home, and I'm like, hey, mom. She's like, where were you? We were scared. I'm like, I ran away. She's like, why did you run away? We were getting along. I'm like, well, Danny. <laughs> so... I wonder why she didn't like him. Um, but but um, Danny, Danny kind of threw out, every time it seemed like I got in trouble or I did something bad, Danny was with me. And for some of us, we've had the same experience with a friend, um, dated someone. Some of us married that person, you know, and, and our parents or our friends told us not to, not to hook up with them and we ended up marrying them. Um, some of us, we got into business and we had people on the outside saying, do not, do not, do not get in business with them. But we decided we're going to get in business with them anyways. Some of us hired someone that our friends told us not to hire and fired someone that our friends told us not to fire. And we did some things. And that is a very, very normal experience as humans. To, ha- to do something or to be friends with someone or to like something or to like someone and for our friends or our parents or a mentor or someone not to like the choices that we're going to make is a very, very normal experience. But that experience was not thought up by your parents, wasn't thought up by my parents. That experience was actually, and that whole idea of not liking who the people that you're kind of over, the not liking that, that is an experience that was thought up by God. And if you look in the Old Testament, you will actually find... Then in the Old Testament, God had this huge desire for his people. God wanted all of his people, the way he put it is, he wanted all of his people to be holy. And in, and in uh, Deuteronomy 26, 19, it says, He has declared that he will set you in praise, fame and honor high above all the nations he has made, you, he has made and that you will be a people holy to the Lord your God as he promised. And when he says he wants them to be holy, in other words, he's talking to the Israelites and saying, Israelites... I want you to be so on fire and set up in such a way that you will be so on fire to follow me, so passionate to follow me, that your lives, when people look from the outside and look in, there will be no mistake that you are my people because you will be holy. And your lives will be so good and so awesome and so amazing and I'm going to move and it's going to be great. I want you to be holy. And so when Moses started ruling the Israelites, God gave Moses all kinds of laws. He gave them the Ten Commandments, and, he, and God told them, if you follow these laws and if you follow these rules, the end result is that your life is going to be one that, li- that is lived as a holy life. And not only did he say do that, but he also said, here's what I want to do. I want to completely eliminate distraction for you. 
And instead of just living these laws and doing these things, I also do not want you to interact with other countries. I don't want you to marry someone from another country. I don't want you to be close friends with someone from another country. I want Israel to be one nation who just kind of hangs out by themselves and not do anything else. Because God knew what God knew, what our parents knew, is that, is that bad company corrupts good character. And God knew that if you go off and you marry someone with a different belief system, they're going to bring that belief system into this nation and they're going to make it bad. So God said, here, we're going to completely separate you. And when he did that, essentially what God did was, is that God built or put up a wall between Israel and the other nations. And he said, you as Israel stay completely on this side of the wall. And the Gentiles, which are the people who are not the Jews, the Gentiles, they can hang out all day long over here. But as far as you go, you guys do not spend time with them. We don't want you around them. Don't interact with them. The people who are your best friends, you stay over on this side of the wall. The people that you hang out with the most, they're on this side of the wall. Do not go to this side of the wall. And every time they went to this side of the wall, there was an element of things that happened that just seemed bad. And God kept saying, go back, go back, go back. Stay on this side of the wall. And when Jesus came onto the earth, the Israelites had this down to a science. They were so good at staying on this side of the wall, not only did they stay on this side of the wall really, really, really well, but they began to believe everyone who was on this side of the wall was essentially worse than them. They thought that everyone who was on this side of the wall was God's chosen, amazing, we're awesome, this is, this is the life. Even when people, even when different countries ruled their country, they still thought we're better than they are. And they had this arrogance and this thing about them that they wouldn't even help someone on this side of the wall because they just thought, we are God's chosen people, we are holy, and so we are better than anyone who lives on the other side of the wall. And so when Jesus came onto the scene, he saw this, and what happened is, is that the act of separating the Israelites from the other countries and the rest of the nation, which was intended on making holiness more of a characteristic in their life, the act of separating them did not increase holiness, it actually decreased it. And God intended to separate these Israelites out so that they would be more holy. And they ended up, when Jesus came onto the scene, they ended up being less holy. And they ended up, instead of going towards God, they ended up going away from God. And so when Jesus came onto the scene, he caused such a problem with this. Because he saw this and he, said, he told the religious leaders, guys, you're missing it. And he started going and he started doing some things that was pushing on the wall a little bit. He, he even did some things at times. There was a time that he sat at a well with a woman from another country. And according to that custom, that was huge. That was like living over here. And all his disciples, and at the time we think of his disciples as like these big bearded men who were like big and rough. His disciples, when they started off, were in their teenage years. And so when Jesus was like, hey, we're going to Samaria. And they go over to Samaria, all his disciples were like, your dad is going to kill you. Can you believe we're going to that country? It's like living on this side. It's like, woo! Jesus is doing something crazy. And so for them, they were pretty excited about it. But Jesus kept seeming to be doing some things. And, they, and, and, the, and the leaders, the religious leaders of the day kept going, but Jesus, we've got this wall. Why do you keep acting like that? Why do you keep doing this stuff? And Jesus kept going, listen, you guys, you don't understand. 
this wall is no longer helping you. This wall is leading in the exact opposite direction of the intention that God had. So Jesus said, all right, let's push the wall, let's move the wall, let's go to the other side of the wall, let's do all kinds of stuff. And by doing that, it, it caused such a ruckus, ruckus, there you go, that's a good word, but it caused such a mess with the religious leaders of the day, it ended with his death. And so Jesus died, rose again, went up to heaven, and the, the interesting thing is that everyone at that day was so, this was such a tradition for them, that even the people who followed Jesus every single day that, uh, that Jesus was on earth, uh, even those people had a difficult time getting rid of the walls and living their life without a wall, even when Jesus left. And one of the guys who had the biggest struggle with this and just had such a hard time with this was Peter. And Peter was, he was like one of the top three disciples. When we talk about disciples, man, he was such a strong and amazing disciple, but he had a hard time figuring out how to live out Christianity and his religion without walls. And so he struggles with this throughout his life, and throughout the Bible you can read about it. And then one day something happens. And in Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, there's a man named Cornelius who is a Gentile who lives very much on this side of the wall. And an angel comes to Cornelius and he says, Cornelius, send men to go get Peter. I need to send a couple guys and go get Peter. So Cornelius says, okay. He sends a couple guys to go get Peter. And while Peter, while, while Peter is waiting for these men, or he didn't even know he's waiting for these men, while, while these men are going to Peter, they about get to his house and Peter's getting a little bit hungry. It's almost lunchtime. He's got a little bit of time. So he goes onto the roof of this house and prays. And while he prays, it says he goes into a trance or he has a vision. And this is what happens. While Peter's sitting on the roof waiting as these men are coming up towards the house, it says he saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. In other words, some of those animals that, that that vision was telling them to eat, some of those animals were kept out by a wall or by the laws that God gave the Israelites. And then the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that, that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, because if you're sitting on your roof, and it's about to be lunchtime, and you're praying, and the sheet comes down with all this food, like he's, he, it says that he is wondering about the meaning of the vision. I mean, for me, I'm wondering, man, I wonder, is my diet so bad that God has to, like, send me a vision to tell me I need to eat better? That's what I'm wondering. Um, maybe not you, but that's what I'm, I'm thinking. Okay, so um, it's like a bad joke. So uh, the voice... I know when they're bad, don't worry. You don't have to laugh. Um, so while Peter is wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So Peter hears, hey, there's some men downstairs, go with them. So Peter gets up. And he goes with them. And he goes with them to Cornelius' house. And this is a big deal. We read the story and we don't realize how big of a big deal this is. But this is a big deal. Because for Peter to go to the house of a Gentile is like Peter doing this. 
He's pushing on the wall. And he knows it isn't right, but God has told him, and he's not sure why. But Peter's going there going, man, I don't know what's going on. Why does God want me to go to this house? That following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. In other words, he says this. We all realize, right? We recognize that there's a big wall here. That it's not right and it's not legal and I'm not even supposed to be associating with you because according to the Jewish tradition and custom, I'm not supposed to be hanging out with you guys. There's a wall here. He kind of recognizes that. He says, but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came out with Rene without raising any objections. So may I ask you why you sent for me? And Cornelius basically said, well, an angel came to me and told me to send for you, so I sent for you. That's why I sent for you. No, like crazy reason, that's why. And then Peter, I love this verse, verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. God does not show favoritism. And Peter, even though he walked with Jesus through his life, even though Peter did some things that seemed like he was going to both sides, Peter never really caught it. But this day, Peter finally realized God does not show favoritism. And by realizing that, if you read further in the story, that the, the whole, the whole uh, family of Cornelius gets completely transformed and they become a conduit through which the Gentiles get reached in a huge way. And that day, as Peter standing in their house, something he never realized before. He, didn't, he, didn't, he realized that Jesus didn't come just to kind of push the wall a little bit. Jesus didn't come just to mess with the wall at all. That the reason why Jesus came is not to reinforce the wall. The reason why Jesus came is so that he could break down the wall. And so, he, so Jesus came. So There we go. Get it. Get it. So, okay, so the reason why Jesus came is so that he could break down the walls in their lives. Because here's what basically happened. Jesus said, hey, listen, guys, if you continue to live with a wall in your life, if you continue to do all this, then the purpose of me coming will never happen. That he came so that we could be a part of changing and transforming the earth. And if God is going to reach the city, if God is going to reach the world, if God is going to continue to reach the people that, that he wants to reach, he is going to use you and he is going to use I, myself to do it. But the only way, hold on, hold on, the only way that he can do that is if as Christians we can completely get rid of this wall. Because for some of us, some of us, we have this wall. And for some of us, we stay on this side of the wall. And we live on this side of the wall. And our kids go to school on this side of the wall. And our friends are on this side of the wall. And our neighbors, the only ones we talk to, are on this side of the wall. The only people in our work are on this side of the wall. And we never go to that side of the wall. For some of us, we live on this side of the wall six and a half days a week. But then for a couple hours... 
We drive to church, 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 yell at our wife, yell at our kids, yell at our wife, yell at our kids. Then we get into church. Hey, how you doing? Oh, brother, I'm doing well. Life is good. Couldn't be better. God, Jesus, he's doing it. Then we leave church, we pray for our lunch, and then we live on this side again. And we say that we believe what's going on over here, but we don't live over here. We say that we believe what's happening here, but we live our life here. And then there's others of us. See if I can illustrate this. We kind of live right here, right? That if we like what this tells us, we lean this way a little bit. But if we don't like what this tells us, we just lean this way. We like what this tells us, we lean this way. If we don't like what this tells us, we lean the other way. And we use what we call as a belief system, we use what we call as a religion to reinforce, not to challenge us, but to reinforce what we already want to believe. And if we don't agree with the way that it's challenging us, we'll just simply go this way. And for a lot of us, we have these walls in our life. And if God is truly, if God is truly wanting to transform this city, and if the local church is God's conduit to do that, and if you or I are God's conduit to change this city, to change this nation, if we really are the people that are going to change the world, then the only way that we can be a part of doing that is if we completely get rid of these walls and start playing outside of where we're necessarily comfortable. And the only way that God is going to move like he wants to move is if we can be people without walls. And if only if God will break down these walls. Now, for some of us, this is the hammer that God wants to use to break down the wall. We believe that as a church that God wants us to go into our communities and to walk into our communities with the people around us and actually be around them and hang out with them and be a part of their lives and interact with them. And this, we think, is a really good way to do it. We don't think it's the only way. But we think for some of you who just don't know how to walk on this side of the wall, that this is an amazing hammer to break over and to break into what we're doing. Because we believe that God has a plan for your community. We believe God has a plan for this city. We believe that God wants to break down the walls that you may have set up in your life. So here's what we're going to do. The band's going to come out and we're going to sing a song. And as we sing a song, I want us to ask this question, these two questions, these two questions. One, where are the walls in your life? Where have you completely separated from the people that you actually need to be around? Where have you, where have you stood on this side and, and said, I'm just going to stay here and stay here and stay here and, and we're not over on this side anymore? Where is that for you? And then the second question is, what is keeping you from breaking down those walls? For some of us, I'll tell you, this is a wall of fear. 
that I would go to the other side of the wall, I would break down this wall, I just don't know how. And I'm scared because I don't know how to do it. For some of us, it is a wall of pride. For some of us, it's a wall of selfishness that we just care about our own stuff. For some of us, it is a wall of apathy. We just don't care. Today, God wants to break down those walls and lead you towards breaking down those walls. So as the band sings, I want you to ask, where are the walls and what is keeping me from breaking those down? Let's stand to sing this song.